0: Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, once again, the opportunity to be here together. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, our ears, help us to hear what you have for us. We thank you for your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. morning. Uh, If you're new, welcome. We're small and mighty today. So, that's pretty cool. I know just so you guys know, pray, there's a lot of people sick. I don't know what's going on, but I don't want it. So, if you're sick, please don't come, no I'm kidding. Um, pray for the those who are sick, we have a lot of people traveling as well. Um, Christy mentioned, so we're kind of doing these one offs until next week, Matt will pastor Matt will be preaching. Um, and we're just kind of giving some more opportunities for others to preach a little bit. I was supposed to be off in August, and some of you have actually questioned, like, why are you preaching today? Because everything today has been a punt, (laughs) if you know that reference. Um, We had sick people. Rebecca stepped in to sing today last second, like an hour ago, so it's just been one of those days, but it pretty much sums up the week. I don't know what your week was like, but It was an interesting week. There was a lot of things that were added to our plate, um, lots of sick people. There was a lot of uh, things that we had to fill into that we don't normally, and then we have tragedies like what's going on in Hawaii. We're watching Maui burn to the ground. Um, It's just, I don't know, it felt like a heavy week this week. And so I was praying about what is it that I really feel compelled to preach on, and this is the passage that came to mind. And so I want to kind of just dive in by starting with kind of giving you a visual, uh, the movie version, if you will, of building up to what Jesus is doing in this passage. So if you've grown up in church world and you've studied scripture or read scripture at all, you know some of these stories that I'm going to go through really quick. If not, then hopefully this will help you understand why Jesus chooses to speak about this when he does. And so Jesus has been traveling around. He's been talking and teaching. He's been telling his disciples that there's going to come a a moment soon when he's going to be killed. He has predicted his own resurrection. Three days later, the disciples, the apostles have not understood all of this, but they've been following him and obviously making a lot of mistakes in the process. And he kind of corrects them and teaches them as they go. Um, At this point in Jesus's earthly ministry, he has this, this event that we call the Last Supper has taken place. So he has washed the disciples' feet and used that as an analogy. He has um, predicted Peter's denial. He has declared that Judas is going to be the one to betray him. He has kind of laid all of that out. And then if you read the Gospels, it seems like there's really nothing that kind of goes on in between that. But the book of John tells us that there's actually some teachings that Jesus provides during this kind of gap between the Last Supper and everything I've just said and the moment that he's going to get arrested. And that's kind of where we're at. And as I was processing this, I thought, man, if I knew that I was walking to my death, And I had moments with my family and my friends. What would I say? That's a lot of pressure. And I'd probably blow it, right? Like I'd probably say something really silly or, you know, it it didn't really come out the way that I longed for it to do. But have you ever thought about if you had one more moment with somebody, what would you say? And this is Jesus' moment. He does several things during this time. He, we have Jesus' high priestly par- prayer recorded, and I actually thought about preaching on that one, but I changed my mind. We have this moment where he's walking through a vineyard, it appears, and he's going to use what he sees as an analogy to help his disciples understand what's going on. There's He he gives some of his most profound teachings about the Holy Spirit during this time so that they understand what the Spirit's role is going to be in this future church ministry that they're going to be establishing. So if you can kind of picture that, and I picture it this way, because obviously we don't have a movie version of this, but I picture Jesus having doing—he's doing some of these teachings, and then he's walking through a vineyard, and he's got his disciples with him, and he's looking at the grapes or the vines that are there, and maybe he grabs one, and he's kind of looking at it, I don't know, I feel Jesus would be very contemplative, right? He just kind of stares at it, and everybody's like, oh, look what he's doing. What's he going to do next? And so I picture kind of everybody hushing, like, oh, he's going to say something, right? It's that Forrest Gump moment where he's been running, and then he stops, and everybody's like, he's going to say something. And all he says is, I'm going to go home, right? I've been running, I'm tired. Jesus always says something profound. So he begins what he's going to talk about in chapter fifteen, verse one, was saying, "I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." So, he's going to use this analogy of this vine that he's around. He says, "Look, I, I'm the vine." What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he is the life source. When you look at the grapes, and you look at the leaves, and you look at the shoots that are coming off, it's the vine. It's it's the vine that's so important. If you want fruit, the vine has to be healthy. If you want leaves, the vine has to be healthy. It's, it, there's a lot of things that can happen to a plant, and as long as a vine plant, and as long as the vine remains healthy and rooted, then things can continue to grow. So Jesus begins this discourse by saying, look, if we're going to use kind of horticulture as an example picture me jesus as the vine and then god the father who i've already told you i've come to do his will not my own he's the vine dresser so i picture i because i'm visual i picture so you picture god the father kind of walking through like the vineyard, right, as the vine dresser, and he's making all of the adjustments that needs to be made, but then in this analogy, Jesus would be the vine. Jesus is the source of of all of the life and the growth that's going to exist in this vineyard. And so he sets the stage by giving this picture. And then he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I've learned a lot about, uh, so, okay, I have a biology degree, but my biology, my undergrad is in biology, but it was, like, pre-med focused, and so it's more on the human biology side. But I did take some botany classes, and I did learn about plants, but I've learned the most about plants from my wife, who likes plants. I kill everything. She makes it all grow. So, and I think I've told the story about my one plant. I'm not even going to talk about it again, because it'll make me cry. Um, That was very devastating. Anyway, moving on. Had a bad experience. So there's um, this, I- if you don't know a lot about horticulture, this is might not make sense. So I'm just going to explain this really quick. So the first thing he says as he's made this analogy is every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So if you're going to plant an apple tree, the purpose of planting the apple tree is to what? Grow apples. If you're going to plant a vineyard, the purpose of planting the vineyard is to get grapes. So if you walk into a vineyard, if you're a farmer, and you've planted something, and you're expecting a fruit crop, then you walk out, and you find that this tree is not bearing any fruit, or this vine is not bearing any fruit, then you go, okay, this is a fruitless tree. This is worthless, this isn't doing what I've asked it to do. So then they will remove it. This tree needs to be removed, and it might be replaced with another tree because the goal of the tree, or the vine, is to produce the fruit. Now one of the things that I have learned, and I remember from biology, is that in order for a plant to flower, or in order for a plant to produce fruit, it has to be extremely healthy. Like, it's the last thing that it will do. Its ultimate goal, if the plant was thinking, is survival. So, my job is to survive. My job is to survive. I need enough water. I need enough sunlight. Whatever it is, my job is to survive. As the plant thrives, then it begins to do things that are extra. Like what? Like flower, Or produce fruit. Or reproduce. But it won't do it unless it's healthy because all of its energy Will be around just surviving. So if you walk down the street and you see, we so I lived in a, a town called Bakersfield, California. It's basically in the desert of California. There's nothing there. Don't go. There's no reason to be there. Okay. <laughs> so, but if but it gets really hot in the summer, right? Like 900 degrees or something. It's like. like Bakersfield summers are known for like we're the ones that like have the the YouTube videos where you can crack the egg on the sidewalk and it'll fry okay and every once in a while in the summer I remember this as a kid I'd walk by and I would see like in the crap crack crack of the cement there would be like some like little weed that had like grown up right in the crack of the cement and there's no plants around it's just everything's dead and yet this thing is surviving it doesn't flower. It doesn't produce fruit. It's just like, I'm going to make it, right? Like, I'm not going to fry. I'm going to make it, and whatever is going on, it's, it's putting all of its energy in saying it's 900 degrees outside, and I refuse to not die in this little crack, and I found a little bit of dirt, and I'm going to grow, and every once in a while, you'd see that, and you'd be like, wow, that's phenomenal. Over time, the sun would get so hot that you could walk by and you'd see this thing laying over and eventually it would be dead because it can't continue to thrive in the conditions that it was in. But it's definitely not, I've never walked through Bakersfield in the summer and seen one of these things have fruit on it. Never. Why? Because it's all about survival. The vine dresser's looking at as he's walking through, he's going, Well, what I'm looking for are the trees or the vines or the plants that have moved past survival and are actually producing something of value to me. And if they're not, then the scripture says he basically pulls them out and throws them away. And we're going to get deeper into that in a moment. Then he says something else that's really interesting. He says, okay, there's kind of two things that happen here. The vine dresser's job is to remove the plants that aren't producing. But then he says, and then every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's weird to think about. Because when I picture like pruning, like I don't know, if if you anthropomorphize a plant, that was a fancy word for saying, if you put like human characteristics on it. And I look at a plant, and I'm like, oh, it's living, and we think of it that way, right? And you come up, and you, like, clip something off of it. You would think, this is going to hurt the plant. This is going to destroy the plant. This is going to hurt. If you walked up to me and cut off my arm, I would be upset, right? So, but what's fascinating about this world of horticulture, and I, can't, I can give you the science behind it, but not the practicality, and I couldn't tell you how to do it effectively, but there's a specific way and timing that if you prune a plant back that is bearing fruit the stress that it goes under from that pruning actually causes this healthy plant to produce more fruit in the future and we call it pruning that's the word and pruning is this thing where something is going to get clipped off something has to happen that causes stress to the healthy plant so that it can bear more fruit in the future. So what Jesus is saying in the analogy is, okay, I'm the vine. I'm not getting clipped because I'm permanent. That's it. I'm, I'm the vine. The vine dresser walks around, and he's looking at what's attached to the vine, and if it's not bearing any fruit at all, then he removes it. If it's bearing fruit, his desire is that it's going to bear more fruit. In order for it to bear more fruit, he doesn't just leave it alone and go, great job, you're bearing fruit. I just want to keep doing No, I want a bigger crop from you. I want more fruit from you. So I'm going to come in and put you through a little bit of hardship and put you through a little bit of suffering, and I'm going to prune you so that as you will grow and that suffering will produce more fruit in the future. Now, if I were just to stop right here, and I'm not going to, but if I were to stop right here, this is, all, this is enough to process through. I was just talking to somebody in this room, like during our fellowship time, and I'm like, "How was your week?" And he's like, oh, "It was hard. Like I learned some things about myself. The Lord has revealed that are that's difficult." And, and, and I'm thinking, man, it's so encouraging to hear when somebody who has come to faith in Jesus recently, understanding the pruning process, because it's not natural, right? If you don't like this idea it's you know we can go back to the sports analogy because I was an athlete I understand sports better than I understand plants (laughs) okay so if you want to run a marathon you can't start by running a marathon Well, most people can't I actually knew some people who could and I don't like them (laughs) so most people can't most people have to go I need to be able to run a mile before I can run the 26 and then I can now run a mile great. No problem. Like it, it seems like this is this is no problem anymore, but now I need to run 2. And the increase from the first mile to the second mile feels like the suffering you went through from 0 to 1. And then you got to increase again. And then you got to increase again. And what happens as you're increasing, you're going through more suffering, you're putting your body through more pain. You're out of breath again. You get back to that thing of why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to run? But you push yourself through it. And over time, that becomes your new comfort zone. And now it's like, man, I can run 10 miles with no problem, but I'm not at 26 yet. And you know what it's going to take for me to get to 26? i got to go back through the exact same suffering process that I went through before. Why? Because it bears more fruit. We can't bear more fruit without more pain. There's an old saying, and everybody says that we overuse it all the time, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, right? It's been overused. It's cliche at this point, but it's accurate, right? And the Lord understands this. So we could say, hey, I'm content with a little bit of fruit that you're producing. However, I desire you to produce more fruit. In order for you to produce more fruit, you're going to have to make some changes. Unless the changes come... You're just going to keep seeing the same fruit in your life we understand this this is practical right i was talking to somebody else today and i'm like how you doing and she said i'm not great and i said what's going on she said school's hard i'm like it is hard school's hard and i've told her i've come to the conclusion that most of school is just trying to give you enough discipline to get through it (laughs) right it's suffering so why do we do that because the goal the end result we're saying is worth it as soon as it doesn't become worth it there's no point in suffering right so you have to keep your eye on the goal of what you're trying to achieve as a christ follower what's that goal longing to glorify jesus more i'm longing for more fruit to be produced in my life so that when others look at me they don't just see kevin they see Jesus using Kevin for his glory. And in order to do that, it means that I have to keep changing. In order to do that, it means that I have to keep getting pruned. And pruning equals suffering, hardship. Parenting is very similar. It is not loving as a parent to say, just pick whatever you want to do, do whatever you want. That's called neglect right? Now, p- there's weird parenting styles right now. I call it neglect. They call it parenting. I'm like, we have, we have some differences of opinion here. Um, letting your kid do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it is irresponsible because you're not teaching your child. Saying no to a child requires suffering from the parent as well as suffering for the kid. However, what's the goal? Growth. Growth growth we don't want to do that because if you run out in the street you might get hit by a car especially in boston right so we understand this process but it's not easy it's not easy to embrace but it's real all right let's keep going Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. There's a lot here. So he's going to kind of make this transition. He said, like, okay, here's the practical, like, reality of the situation, If I'm the vine and God's the vine dresser, then you need to understand the vine dresser's job. The vine dresser's job is to take those who are attached to the vine and either remove them because they're not bearing fruit or prune them so that they'll bear more fruit. And then he says, okay, so let's further this. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's in this intimate setting with his disciples and he's saying you guys don't all get it yet there's a lot of pruning that needs to happen here but right now we can talk to you because you're attached to the vine so let me explain what this means already you are clean because of the word that i've spoken to you jesus teaches the word we have the word this is all going to come down to scripture over time but we'll get there you're clean you're covered Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is he challenging here? He's challenging the disciples' human desire to do it their way, in their time, how they want it done. He's challenging the disciples' understanding that if you continue to lean on your own abilities, If you continue to lean on the way that your brain, your sin-cursed brain, continues to function, you're not going to bear any fruit because you're not going to be abiding in the vine. This is the challenge. Because he's saying, listen, there's this thing you have to be doing. You have to abide. There's, and I'll... I don't know, I was trying to think this week. Did I ever, this entire week, use the word abide? And the answer is no. This is not a word that we use very often anymore. I don't think you probably used this word, right? So what does abide actually mean? It means to remain, to stay grounded, right? It, it means that that you're, you're firmly rooted in something. It is this, this concept of like, when you're abiding in something, there's no ability to be separated from it. It's it's firm. It's rock solid. It's constant. There's like this tight-knit, close communion that isn't broken. That's That's ultimately this this word abide. So if we think through this and we look at what Jesus is saying, he's saying, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he makes this crazy statement that without him we can do nothing. Now when I was younger, I argued this. And my hunch is that I'm probably not the only one because you're all human as well. I see a lot of people who don't know Jesus that do stuff. I see people serve others. I see people sacrifice. I see individuals say, man, like by our definition of good, we can look at people and go, I know they don't know Jesus, but that's a good person. Like, this is somebody I want to hang out with. Like, they care about me. They, they love me. They, they, they do stuff. From an American dream perspective, I see people who don't know Jesus become very successful and influential in a world. And so I remember being young and, and reading this passage and probably being taught it at some point and going, I don't know that I believe that. Without me, you can do Nothing. I see a lot of things getting done. So what is Jesus talking about here? We have to go back, we have to go back to the beginning in order to understand the full gamut of Jesus' thought process. Everyone in this room, because this is our little vine talk, has been created by God. And everybody in this room has been created to do one thing. One thing. It looks different, but it's ultimately to do one thing. You have been created to bring glory to Jesus. That's our purpose in life. We read from the beginning of time, the creation before the fall, that's what people were doing. They were communing. They were abiding. They were worshiping. They were imperfection. It was, when we look at the original creation and what was happening, there was this, this is why Trinitarian theology is so important. Mankind was created and invited into a perfect relationship that already existed. See, as human beings, we think, I was actually told this once, somebody, like it was a theologian, they said, Kevin, do you realize that There is one thing that God can't do. And I'm like, really? This is going to be an interesting discussion. And he says, God can't worship himself. And I said, actually, that's not true. What he was projecting is, well, God created us to worship him because he can't worship himself. And I said, actually, that's not true. Trinitarian theology completely eliminates that. God lived in perfect relationship. And then he creates something and he says, I'm going to create you in my image, and I'm inviting you into this perfect relationship. And then he gives us a choice, and we choose not to. And we have a fall, and the mess, and the current situation. Right? But I think the, the problem is that we actually buy into that. We think that there's actually something that God can't do, or that God needs us, or that God so desires us and has such need for us that that's actually why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And there's these little subtleties that we can make where, and I've done this, like in my head, I would never say this out loud, like what I'm gonna say, right? Where I'm like, God, did you just see what I did for you? Like you're so lucky that I'm on your team. Like I picked you, I didn't pick the other team. And you're lucky to have me. What would you do without me, God? And then it progresses. Because then you get to, well, because you need me and because I chose you, then I also get to choose how much I'm going to love you and how much I'm going to worship you and how much I'm going to give you. And those little subtleties begin to change the way that we function in our relationship and understanding to who God is. And then, yes, we do stuff. But it's not to the glory of Jesus. Which is the problem. Scripture says that one day we'll go through judgment. Right? And so, kind of picture two judgments if you can. This is very, very fast theology. Okay? Two judgments. The first judgment is going to come with Did you know Jesus personally? We'll get to that here in a second, too. Did you know Jesus personally? If not, then there's the separation. Scripture describes it a whole bunch of different ways. The sheep are separated from the goats, whatever. We'll say, simplistically, this is your heaven or hell question. Because Jesus says, you cannot be with me unless you know me. So if you don't know me, then you won't spend eternity with me. You're going to spend eternity apart from me. So that's that separation and then after that separation occurs according to scripture there's going to be another judgment and we would think that that judgment would come upon those who don't know jesus but actually comes on those who do and very simply the question is okay you knew him well what did you do with him and this isn't heaven or hell question anymore this is how well did you glorify jesus in your life this is a fruit question this is, okay, you're an apple tree. Did you produce apples? Right? Not just survive. You didn't just exist. You didn't just take up space. You, you didn't, as human beings, we could show up in that judgment and go, Lord, look at all of the things I did in my life. And do you know what Jesus has the potential to say? You didn't do any of that for me. That was all for you. It was all for your glory, not my glory. So that's not, that doesn't count. Yeah, you can do stuff, but it has no eternal value whatsoever. The only thing that has eternal value is that which we did for the glory of Jesus, which means he gets the glory and we don't. And what it says, basically, is how this is judgment's going to occur is once again, analogy, right? So picture your life as this book, and this is like your birth certificate, and this is your death certificate, and this is your whole life written out. And basically, we're gonna take this thing, and we're gonna go, boom, set it on the altar before Jesus. And it says that it's gonna be tested with fire. So fire's gonna come down, burn everything up. And it says that everything that we've done in our own strength for our glory will be burned up, and everything that we've done for the glory of Jesus will remain, and it calls it jewels right and then based on the number of jewels that are there there's rewards in heaven that sounds weird and i'm not going to get into this yet but the idea that heaven is this place where everything is equal that's not actually accurate it's perfect and jesus is there Some people, and Jesus taught this, will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Some people won't. You don't hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you showed up in a perfect place. The thief on the cross is the perfect example. Thief on the cross, Jesus said, you're going to be in heaven with me when we die. Why? Because he put his faith and trust in Jesus. That's the salvation question. He's there. What's his rewards in heaven? He's there. Jesus doesn't go, well done, good and faithful servant, because you made a good decision. You say, well done, good and faithful servant, when you're actually a servant that's been good and faithful. Jesus has so many parables about this, it'll blow your mind if you haven't studied them. The talents parable is huge. Right? He talks so much about what are we doing with what he's given us. But if we don't see our life as a Christ follower if we don't see our life's ultimate goal of bringing glory to Jesus we can miss it so Jesus would say you actually have the ability to believe in Jesus to believe in me and to do nothing of value I used to tell my kids, and I still tell them this, and they'll tell you that I beat it into them all the time. I'm like, I don't want you to exist. I want you to live. I don't want you to exist as human beings. I want you to live as Christ followers. I don't want you just to sleep and exist and take up air. I want you to dream because God is creative and and dreams with you, and he's given you purpose. I want you to live out your life with this idea of you have the privilege of living a life that brings glory to Jesus. Don't waste it. And that's Jesus' call here. Remember, he's sitting with his disciples and he's like, listen, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you don't abide in me, your life could look really busy but completely fruitless. Therefore, without me, without abiding in me, you can't do anything. Nothing you do outside of Jesus will matter. Like I've thought about this over and over and I think the things that I hope, I hope, I hope, right? That I've done some things in my life that bring glory to Jesus. But I've also done some really good things that I get credit for that have nothing to do with Jesus because I know my own heart and I'm like, I did that for me. I think what's going to remain in our lives are the things that we've forgotten. Right? It's going to be like, man, I forgot that I did that. Well, how did you forget that? Well, obviously because that was glory to Jesus and I always think about the things that bring glory to me. It like gets deep, doesn't it? And it's hard to swallow at times. It makes my mouth dry. So this beckons a question for me. Well, how do I know if if what I'm doing is bringing glory to Jesus or glory to me? And Jesus answers it in the passage. What does he say? You have to abide in me. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus then? Well, we've defined it a little bit. It means to stay, to remain. Uh, Abiding means that the branch is... Taking the life-giving sap from the vine and utilizing that for the production of fruit. That that preaches. <laughs> right? So, how much sap did you use this week? I go, it's a hard week. I'm looking at This tragedy that's taking place in Maui, like I've been to Maui, I've stood in those places where there's nothing, the the number of people who have died, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, "This this is tragic, how do I even wrestle with this as a human being, the loss of life, the need, the devastation, like what do I do, and do you know what Jesus says? Abide in me. Abide in me. I could get so lost in looking at the world around me and feeling depressed and overwhelmed and lock myself in my house every night and binge on Netflix or whatever it is, Disney Plus, to create this escape and never do anything. And then my life becomes this place of survival. And then when I look at that, I go, wait, there's no fruit happening. How do I know there's no fruit? Because I'm not abiding in Jesus. Did Jesus create me to binge on Netflix? No. Am I saying you can't binge on Netflix? No. But if that's your whole life, that's not living, that's existing. In fact, I'll go as far as maybe that's not even existing because you're existing through something that isn't even real. You're living in a world that doesn't actually exist. We're good at that jesus goes well how how do you know you abide well, how do i know if i'm abiding? are you tapping into the vine well, how do i know if i'm tapping into the vine i don't know let's do a quick check how did your prayer life go this week how much time are you spending in the word How much time was given to the things you know you're not supposed to do versus the things you know that you've been called to do? Like, do a comparison. Right? I think that one of the greatest needs in the church today and probably in the church throughout history is that we have to understand that without abiding in Jesus, we can't do anything. but we just don't live that way. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is intense, and I want to move on, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but what Jesus is saying is there is the possibility that you can appear to be attached to the branch, but you're dead. The analogy works really easy, because I see it all the time. I'm like, Christy, what are you doing? She doesn't say she's pruning, because pruning means I'm taking a fruit-filled branch, and I'm putting it through some pain so that it'll bear more fruit. There's a difference. She'll say, I'm cleaning out. I'm, what is it calling? Deadheading. Deadheading. I'm taking that, which is, that's that, that, that term has changed a lot, hasn't it? I take the branch, I d- aged myself there. I take the branches that are there that have no sap in them. You've seen this. Like you climb, like I, w- I love to climb trees, right? So I like to climb trees. I don't anymore. I used to like to climb trees. And when you're climbing trees and you want to learn to climb a tree fast, one of the things you have to understand is which branches are dead and which ones are living, because if you put your weight on a dead branch, it just breaks off. Why? Because there's no living sap within that branch. It has no water in it. It has no weight in it. It just snaps off. That's removing what's dead. It's possible. It's possible to say, wow, I'm attached. What does it look like? Well, I show up at church, and, and I try to do what I think I'm supposed to do, and I create this illusion to make it look like I'm attached, but there's no fruit in my life, therefore I'm just dead. And it says that when the vine dresser comes along, he's going to snap that branch off and throw it in the fire. That's scary to think about. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Once again, there's a lot here, and I don't have time to go over everything. But one of the most fascinating statements in this entire passage is verse 7 and 8, is he says, By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruits and prove to be my disciples. How do you know if you're a disciple? How do you know if you're abiding? Fruits being produced. Well, what's fruit? Glorifying to Jesus. How do I know if I'm a disciple? There's fruit. How do I know a disciple? Well, there's fruit, and I'm also willing to go through pruning at times. Some of us produce fruit. Some of you need to pray that you can get pruned. Dangerous prayer, but shows the heart of the prayer. Right? Lord, man, when I produce fruit, when you use me to produce fruit, and I am abiding in the vine there's something in me that feels like I'm alive. And I want, I want more of that. When I'm doing what I was created to do by bringing glory to Jesus, there's something in me that feels like I'm fulfilling the purpose that I was given. Therefore, I want to continue to fulfill that, but I can't unless there's some changes. So Lord, would you prune me? When's the last time as a Christ follower you've actually prayed that? Prune me. Like, I'm bearing fruit. This is what we tend to do. I'm bearing more fruit than that guy who's sitting in the church or that girl who's sitting in the church, so I'm good to go. Because there's this constant comparison game going on, right? Okay, now compare yourself to Jesus. How much fruit are you actually bearing? Very little. Because that's who we're supposed to compare ourselves to. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to abide in you, and I'm asking you to make the changes that are necessary in my life so that I can bear more fruit than I, was, I have been bearing. The fruit's great. I want more. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We're getting more practical here. How do you know if you're abiding? You're keeping the commandments of the Lord. To get saved? No, we, Scott preached on that last week. That's grace, by grace alone. Well, what's he talking about here? Now we're talking about living grace. We have saving grace, we have living grace, sanctifying grace. God will continue to pour his grace upon us after saving grace so that we can actually live the life that he desires for us to live. Pours that into us. He says, part of that is just understanding that I love you that I desire good for you, and if you'll abide in my love and understand that you have value and purpose and the privilege of bearing more fruit as you get pruned and the vine dresser continues to work on you, and it's all grounded in this idea of he loves you and he desires your good. Let me get to the last verse. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, why did you say this to us? This isn't fun to hear, Jesus, because what you're telling me is as a Christ follower, prosperity is telling me that I should have all of these things because you love me. And what you're saying is I know that you're loving me through the pruning that you're doing. I know that you love me because of the fruit that's being produced. I know that you love me when I come to this place where I say I want to abide in you so much that I realize I can't do anything without you of any value. And then Jesus answers, well, why? I've spoken this to you. I've told you the hard things. I'm telling you, you're not even close to bearing the fruit that you can in Christ, and you need to keep walking that way. Why? That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This makes me want to cry. Because isn't this what we're after? I don't care if you're coming from a a point of human secularism or selfishness or Christian theology or Buddhism. Every single human being that lives on this planet is seeking after joy. That's all we do. We want joy. What is joy? It's not happiness. Joy is something inside of us that can never be taken. It's, it's a feeling that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what my circumstances are, I know I'm good. I'm at peace. If you want to go Old Testament, it's the closest we come to shalom. Full peace in body, spirit, mind, harmony with everything, back in peace total Trinitarian connection we we refer to that as joy one of my favorite sayings to help us understand joy is when somebody goes that person stole my joy and I go well it wasn't joy then was it because joy can't be stolen if you place your joy in something that's then removed then that wasn't actually a source of joy it may have been a source of happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenings. You get happy when good things happen. You get sad when bad things happen. Happiness is fleeting. In fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus goes, I just want you to be happy. Do you know what he says? I want you to be joyful. I want your peace, your good your understanding your essence your soul to be grounded in joy because no matter what happens nothing can remove that nothing everything else is fleeting and so then what would Jesus say are you understanding that I'm tying abiding in me to your joy There's the connection. Every single person. It's so fitting. Like, Pastor Matt's like, I want to teach evangelism. Why? Do you know what evangelism actually is? It's us in every way and, and by the grace of God to express the joy of Jesus to someone else And invite them into the same joy that you experience, hoping that the Lord will move. That's evangelism. That's it. But here's the problem if you're not experiencing joy, it's really hard to express it, it's almost impossible. Joy requires abiding. So, what do we do with this? I I feel like if Jesus is ever a salesman, this was the pitch. Like, he could have started backwards, but it wouldn't have been as impactful. Because he could have said, Who wants to be joyful? And every single person, every one of those disciples would have raised their hand. And then he could have said something like, okay, well, what's, what are you tying your joy to? And Peter may have said, fishing. Right? And Matthew may have said, robbing people in taxes. And the Sicari zealot may have said, killing the bad politicians you realize these are the people that were following him right they were messed up and then he said did that really bring you joy how's it going for you peter if it was really about fishing why'd you leave it was really about tax collecting why'd you leave if it was really about politics what'd you leave for Because you know that the things that you've attempted to find joy in have been temporary, and it hasn't actually produced joy. But you're created to find it. There's something in you that says joy has to exist. He says, you want it? by to me. Let go. I'll show you. So what do we do? Well, the first thing is, if you're here, you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I love you enough to tell you you're not abiding, you're not attached to the vine. You don't get attached to the vine by showing up here. You don't get attached to the vine because your grandma was a good person. You don't get attached to the vine because your family has a tradition for going to t- for doing religious things. You get attached to the vine when you as a branch abide in Jesus and this is what Jesus says you're a messed up branch you're trying to do it on your own you're a dirty rotten sinner but I'll take you exactly as you are because I did it all this is why I died you attempt to clean yourself up it's not going to work you attempt to try to do good works, it's not going to work because you're not abiding in me. You can't do anything without me. So what do you need first? Me, Jesus. So you have to attach yourself to me. Well, how do you do that? Listen to last week's message. It's all by Jesus. And if you haven't done that, you're invited. I'll take you exactly as you are, Jesus says, And I'm not going to leave you that way because I love you too much. I'm not going to let you just exist. I want you to live. So if that's you, here's the invitation. Come to know Christ. How do you do that? Well, you need to probably talk to somebody. Turn to the person next to you. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Yes. Can we get some coffee this week? I've got some questions. You can come talk to me. You can go talk to Pastor Matt, the expert on evangelism. What about for those of you who know Christ? It's a really simple question. How's the fruit? Are you fruitful? Or is everything that you're doing in your own strength? Are we living a life claiming Christ, but we're living it all in our own strength and the fruit that we're producing is exhausting? Overwhelming. You have to keep chasing it because otherwise the fruit doesn't last. That's not true spiritual eternal fruit. Are you joyful? What's your joy grounded in? church needs to abide in Jesus. There's a lot of things in this world. A lot. Church being potentially one of them that can actually prevent you from abiding in Jesus. As soon as we become legalists, we're not abiding. As soon as it becomes duty, we're not abiding. Religion is hard. does nothing but bring death. We need to abide in Jesus. Are you abiding? If not, let's start living. Let's display the joy of Jesus because it's so contagious it just pours out of us. Even in the midst of hard things. to what you need to do different. I don't know. It's different for everybody. Disease is different. Remedy is the same. So we're going to do something religious that's intended to be personal. Every week here we take communion. The idea of communion is to be reminded that if there's a change that's going to transpire in us from the moment that we're saved to the rest of our sanctification, if we're truly going to live, then we have to abide in the vine of Jesus. And we're reminded constantly through communion that it's his blood and his sacrifice and his body that turns us to joy. And so it's intended to be personal. It's intended to be a reminder. It's intended to be a celebration. It's intended to be remorseful all at the same time because only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can convict and bring joy at the exact same moment so i'm just going to challenge you today like as you participate in communion what is the holy spirit doing what is he asking of you are you willing to actually christ follower are you willing to actually ask him to prune you because he will don't leave here the same girls are going to come up we're going to sing a song and you're going to be invited to partake there's elements there there's elements there you just partake as you feel called but i would encourage you respond in some way if you need to talk to somebody come find somebody if you need to just prostrate yourself in front of everyone before the lord then do it this is meant for you lord thank you for your word Lord, in the midst of all of the difficulty of understanding, the ultimate end is you desired joy. And Lord, we have constantly sought joy in things that are fleeting. And we've been disappointed over and over and over. People disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. Circumstances disappoint us. Jobs disappoint us. School disappoints us. Wealth disappoints us. Poverty disappoints us. Lord, in our sin-cursed state, we keep seeking that which is right in front of us. So, Lord, I pray right now for anyone in this room that is struggling, that doesn't know who you are, that has never attached themselves to you, abiding in you. Lord, I pray right now that you would give them grace and faith and regenerate their heart and move, Lord. Draw them to yourself. Lord, work through the stubbornness and the darkness and the egos and help them understand that without you, they can do nothing. So Lord, I beg you, don't let anybody leave here today without knowing you personally. For your church, Lord, help us to be fruitful. I pray that you would raise up a generation of Christ followers who would be willing to be pruned. Lord, fill us with your joy. May it be contagious in our lives. Lord, remind us of what you've done for us and continue to do for us. And may we live our lives defined by gratitude, regardless of what happens. Because we need nothing but you. Help this church, this little scrappy church in East Boston, declare dependency upon you and nothing more. May we find ourselves abiding in you in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen.